Welcome to Stop, Hack, and Roll, a podcast about taking the agile feat so you can sprint across a collapsing bridge in your next session of Scrumgeons and Dragons. I'm James. And I'm Brandon. This week we're going to be talking about getting useful feedback from playtests and how to turn that feedback into progress. Did I tell you? Did I tell you that I played D&D with some people at work? <laughs> I saw talk of it that it was going to happen on the Discord. And then I was like, no way, that's true. James would never play a game outside of Protean City. I I started talking about playing a game with my coworkers a long time ago. Yes. And and it has just not happened. Yeah. Um, because I was just putting it off, and then I didn't feel super comfortable running 5th uh, edition because it's a lot of rules. And yeah. then I was going to run Dungeon World because people wanted fantasy. And then I said, you know, I don't really know if I feel comfortable running a fantasy story at all, even. Okay. So then I was going to run Apocalypse World. Yeah. And then it just didn't happen. And because it just Party didn't City happen started. and someone else did it. <laughs> oh, and, and, and basically, so one of my coworkers uh, came up and said, hey, so like, what's going on with that? And I was like, I don't know. I'm super busy with this new podcast. Like, uh, I'll probably get around to running something uh, before the year is over uh, or, for, or maybe maybe next year. Uh, we'll see. And he <laughs> was like, next year's over. And he was like, you wouldn't like I wouldn't you wouldn't feel like I was stepping on your toes if I ran a fifth edition campaign, would you? And I was like, absolutely not, dude. Uh, (laughs) We had we had enough people talking about wanting to be interested uh, or we had enough people who said they were interested. We probably had two groups anyway. Yeah. So I was like, go for it. There's a whole bunch of new people. You clearly want to run this. They want to play D&D because that's that's what they think they want. Yeah, Um, they're wrong. They want to play Dungeon World. But they don't know that yet, so they have to learn. <laughs> They'll get there. And so they they rolled a campaign. They they rolled up some characters and they played an adventure. And I wasn't there. And I went to the second. Adv- I went to the second adventure because uh, they had some people out. And I was like, all right, quick, I'll roll up a warlock character. Or nice. I, I ended up making a sorcerer. Okay. Um. And and I played with them. It was pretty good. Uh, cool. We played. I think it was a. I think it was a pre made adventure from yeah. the the starter pack. But it was uh. It was a good. The, the yeah. guy who, who ran it, like he doesn't GM the way that I would, but he yeah. does a great job and um, it was fun. I threw a whole bunch of goblins off a cliff. Oh, perfect. Yeah. For all the shade that I throw on Dungeons and Dragons and like more traditional gaming, I actually do end up really enjoying it any time that I do it. It's just a different kind of fun. It's not a yep. bad fun. It's just a different fun. Yeah, uh, a couple or who is it? Um, Dave has been talking about running a, a like a really tactical fifth edition game. Ooh, I'm interested, but I think <laughs> Dave would kill us. No, I think we would. I, I'd be good. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, Trust I don't. Me. I don't know if we can work well enough as a team to beat Dave versus us. Yes, we can. We have not shown any aptitude for working as a team in our home groups. That's a dirty lie. It's a dirty truth. <laughs> it's a dirty truth. Welcome but to the Dirty good. Truths podcast. Yeah. So the nice thing was... <laughs> this practically is the Dirty Truths <laughs> podcast of light. I need to yeah. get it under control. <laughs> the The nice thing is, uh, because now a whole bunch of the new people who were like, didn't know what they wanted to play, but wanted to do D&D or something like that, um, they're all yeah. in this group. And there were a couple people who were sort of on the... Who didn't care as much, but wanted to do something. Okay. Um, and a couple of them were actually much more interested in, in playing not a fantasy thing. They were much right. more engaged with the apocalypse setting. So I am going to run a smaller group of Apocalypse World. And we've started picking characters. And like we're actually going to play today. But one of my coworkers, uh, he didn't beat his raid boss in WoW last night. So uh, I guess oh. he has to do it again today. He's got what the a, raid what, boss breathing down his neck. What a, what a nerd. Yeah. Wow. Instead of, of coming to play frickin- tabletop games. Exactly. Go do something social, you nerd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, come play D&D 4th Edition, which is wow for babies. <laughs> hey, you know what I also hear you're going to be running soon? What? Oh. A game of masks. Yep, it's potentially going to happen that I'm going to run a game of masks. Oh, and by potentially, to. I mean I have a whole lot of notes and I'm terrified. Um, I wish that we could do an episode about your GM prep, mm-hmm. but given that I am going to be one of the characters for that, and a <laughs> lot of our listeners are also going to listen to it, that's probably not the best way to organize our lives. Well, we can do, we could do an episode about my GM prep after you've, we've recorded. Oh, that's true. 
and then we could we could even just bank it and then put it up in the new year after yeah. uh, after the episode goes up. That's true. That's true. That is a possibility. So I think that's something we should think about because I I did I did have an interesting prep. I took a lot. I internalized a lot of the the guidelines for prep that Mask suggests, but I threw a whole bunch of them out and I did some of my own stuff. Don't tell Brendan. I've thrown out a bunch of stuff also. Like the entire city that the setting takes place in. <laughs> Brendan knows that I threw out the entire setting and the world that he so lovingly, lovingly crafted. Uh, but additionally to that, I have not been doing a good job <laughs> of using long-term threats and things like that. I just have a page covered in clocks. Yeah. But it also says, this is getting like wildly off topic for this, <laughs> for this episode. It says right at the front of the cover of the masks book that Halcyon City is copyrighted to him and him and his company. Oh, so we, so, ex- we can't use it. I mean, we, you, you could probably, but if it was a parody, but, uh, we didn't, I uh, know, I, I don't know. It's just like, it's copyrighted. It's just straight up copyrighted to him. So okay. we could never publish anything technically. Like, I mean, we could, but if we called our podcast, like Halcyon city heroes, he could sue us. Oh, so we wouldn't want to do that then. Uh, no. Okay. I think we're safe. Yeah. Uh, especially because I got exclusive permission from him <laughs> to use a different city. He said we're the only ones allowed to do that. Everyone okay. else has to use Halcyon City. Oh, we should definitely not tell him about them. the uh, the microscope game I created specifically to create new cities for his game. Oof, definitely should not tell him no, that. We should definitely not tell him that. Yeah. I've been keeping a lot of secrets from Brendan lately, <laughs> most of which have to do with Protean City and uh masks and my desire to make protean city stuff for masks yeah they're not really good secrets i think he knows most of them i think i told him most of them to his face (laughs) generally Uh, proceeded with don't tell brandon hey james why don't you go ahead and just cut the last like seven minutes of audio let's start from the beginning hey happy thanksgiving yeah so it's too late for thanksgiving isn't it it's too yeah it's gonna be this will go up the day after i think Okay, well, I hope you ate... No, it'll go up way after. It'll Thanksgiving go up is in two days. This will go up next week. <laughs> hey, remember so, a week ago when Thanksgiving? Yeah, yeah, I definitely remember a week ago when Thanksgiving. Me too. It was good. I ate uh, a lot of food. I guess really what we should be saying instead is, how about that Christmas countdown, yep. which includes, uh, hopefully, me on Party of One. Uh, by the time this episode drops, the details of that will have been figured out (laughs) at this time. It's potential. And so hopefully I didn't just lie. Well, Mark potential. Ah. uh, Um, why don't we get to the topic? Oh my God. Yeah. We need to start. This is the worst. (laughs) At least, at least five minutes of that could have been cut. cut, Yeah. And maybe should be. So James. Yeah. We brought a topic today together. What topic is it? So I want to do two things. I want okay. to talk about playtesting. That's really okay. the, big, the big thing. I want to talk about playtesting and then how you use that playtesting stuff to move forward and design your game. Some of the stuff we talked about with Agile last week. I just want to dive yeah. into or, or two weeks ago. I want to dive into it a little bit more. Okay. Sounds great. So I actually want you to start because you because <laughs> you I know have, so much about agile. No, 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 no. Because you've run some play tests. Oh, OK. And I just want to like set a groundwork of like what is a good because like I ran two play tests at Metatopia yeah. this year, but they were play tests that I didn't like participate in. I just kind of okay. said, here are my rules. Go. Yeah. Um, but you've run a whole bunch of play tests for two years. You've done it yes. twice now. And you have like you are an active participant in that play test. So right. for me, it was really easy to just be like, here's my game go play and now i'm gonna sit back in the corner and take notes <laughs> yeah uh, but obviously you can't do that as much i mean i could and just go like turn at each other actually admittedly it would have been much easier to do that a year ago when it was gmless um but yeah i have run about a dozen play tests which makes me a rookie 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 play tester yeah uh but i have some thoughts and i've gained some knowledge and things like that, both from talking to a lot of very intelligent people and also just from seeing what worked really, really well with my playtests and what didn't. Yeah. And so I'll get more specific. Even what I'm interested in from you is what do you do when you are going into a playtest 
uh, and thinking about the feedback you want to get. Like, how do you focus that feedback? How do you collect feedback? Um, how do you get people to give you the feedback that you want? And then what kind of feedback do you want? Okay. Yeah, sounds good. I think the first thing with getting a playtest to work really, really well is setting down exactly what you're talking about, getting those ground rules for what we're trying to have happen. In some settings, like Metatopia, there is a little bit of an assumption that people have a general idea of how to playtest things. Unfortunately, playtesting isn't just a thing that everybody can do effectively without any practice or knowledge. It's something that takes an enormous amount of skill and attention, which means that sometimes at Metatopia, it works and it kicks on and it goes perfectly because people are there to playtest. And other times it falls a little bit short because people are there to play games, which I know is kind of funny with a convention that is literally sitting around and playing games. But part of what you have to do when you're playtesting a game is get out of that mindset that you are actually playing it at all. Uh, So I like to ask at the beginning and basically say, hey, what is your level of knowledge about things? Uh, both in terms of the mechanics of similar games and in terms of telenovelas. Uh, Not because telenovelas have anything to do with my game, but just because I think that's a relevant thing. (laughs) Just for every game you're playtesting, you always start with that. Every game, uh, and also uh, any modules I'm testing. Uh, I'm doing a great one about going into a lich's lair, and I just really want to know how people know about (laughs) telenovelas. It's super important, or they will not find any of the phylacteries, is what I've Yeah, found. yeah, yeah. Yeah. From there, it can be helpful to say what it is that you're trying to get from it. So just saying, hey, I want to see if my game works. That's all well and good for the first time that you are t- testing the game. Because it could be that your concept doesn't work, that something in it doesn't sing, and you need to do enormous, massive rewrites to hit anything, to be playing a game. Or it could be that your mechanics are so ridiculously broken that you can't even build off of them and you need to start those all over. So that's kind of the, is this a game test? And that's what I was trying to do last year Mm -hmm. when I was going, hey, do I release this for free or not at all? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's been a wild road. Um, From there, I think the next thing to say is, do my core mechanics work? And then do the breadth of my mechanics work. So in my first two playtests at Metatopia, I ended up doing a total of five. Uh, The first two of them, I was aiming primarily to see, do the basic moves trigger often enough for a telenovela style of action? So essentially, have I chosen moves that propel a telenovela? And, and sorry, let me just interrupt. Are yeah, you yeah. are you informing the playtesters that this is what you're looking for, or are you just thinking about this and telling them to just play? I told them ahead of time that with the early tests, like, hey, this is my early test of it. I just want to see, are the moves triggering? Do they work? Essentially, what I'm asking you to do is just play the game in good faith. Okay. Uh, because at that point, all I really had was hey, this concept works, this vague idea of the rules, but every single move has been rewritten. There's been a new stress track. There's new everything. So I just needed to know, does it immediately fall off the rails? From there, I think you're going into the more specific mechanics on a broader scale. Mm -hmm. So I went into some of the later playtests saying, hey, I've tested these moves. These moves appear to be working. These moves are a little funky. So I'd really like it if you could try to hit the moves that are funky so I can see what's going on with them. Uh, Additionally, I had one playtest that I was going, hey, nobody has rolled the face certain death move yet. (laughs) I'd love to see it happen. So uh, if you feel like killing each other, (laughs) go for it. Yeah, I love the uh, was it the the ward? Kevin. Yeah. What's his name? Uh, Kevin Petker. Kevin Petker is the ward where he sat down and said, no one's ever done our, the sex move yet. Yep. And, and so you and someone else sat down and said, we're going to do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We well, because my I'll be honest, going into a medical drama, I was thinking Grey's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't thinking do medicine. I was thinking have do emotional people. drama. 
and <laughs> have an occasional scene where someone has a scalpel in their hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong, I love Grey's Anatomy, and I was actually writing a Grey's Anatomy game before I played the <laughs> ward. Uh, and then I decided to abandon it because Kevin's got it just so well. That's right, I forgot that you were doing that. Yeah, yeah, it was a weird big project, and <laughs> the ward does it better. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like, if if Kevin hadn't said that to us, then we wouldn't have aimed for it. Yeah. And having two players in a one-shot scenario, especially a two-hour-long one-shot, it's not super likely that you're going to trigger a sex move if your focus is on the medical things. Yeah. So having two players at the beginning, like, look at each other, nod, and say, both of us are interested in romancing games, we're going to make this happen. Mm-hmm. Like, that made it happen. And then he got to see how it worked, and I thought it worked pretty well. He ended up uh, eventually rewriting it with uh, help from rookie game designer Brandon Lowe and Gambetta. <laughs> <laughs> I think I heard of that guy. Yeah, maybe yeah. once or twice. <laughs> That's, which I'm getting a bizarre little niche in this, in this uh, hobby. <laughs> um. I, I liked specifically getting talking about like testing, like being upfront about what you're testing. I play tested uh, Hydro Hackers by Phil Vecchione of Pandas Talking Games and the Misdirected Mark Network. Wonderful, um, wonderful person. Absolutely wonderful. And so when we played, uh, we just played the regular, the full version of the game. Like we played the the, the what you would play on a daily basis. Okay. Um, but the game has a Blades in the Dark sort of inspired uh, neighborhood playbook where you actually have a playbook for your neighborhood that okay, advances cool. and stuff between missions yeah. uh, between adventures and so he was not sure how that had worked because actually it's pretty hard to like play test across two sessions where you have like this yeah. middle chunk and so he ran another play test later in at Metatopia where he said let's just sit down I'll tell you what happened to these characters on an adventure and then you guys do the the neighborhood stuff in the middle and then I'll tell yeah. you about another adventure and then we'll do some more stuff I and mean, they just like ran through the neighborhood mechanic four times. Yeah. And like that is something that is really legit and it's a great way to do it and it's a good way to remind the players, "Hey, I know you're here to have fun. You're also more importantly here to play test." Yeah. I've got to say I've now plus I've now tested the character creation for Pasión de las Pasiones about a dozen times. Yeah. It works. It's fun. It's interesting. It gets everybody at the point that they want to be at. It definitely needs some tweaking, but it doesn't need the level of changes that I think the core mechanics possibly could. Mm-hmm. So next time I'm sitting down to do a playtest, I'm probably going to have sheets of paper that say, hey, you Here's are character. this character. This yeah. is your information. It's set up. It's done. These are your relationships. Yeah. I could see that with that game specifically, with your game, yeah. that that character creation helps you get into the character, which yeah. might help you play the character better. Absolutely. And if you just, like if you just handed me a character that I didn't jive with, I might not hit some of the other stuff that you were interested in testing because I was just trying to like get used to the character. That's true. So maybe there's an argument that, you shouldn't just hand people pre-mates, but, uh, but I can the, also see why you would. The question is also the testing environment. Like when we start testing Passion in the Valley Gaming Group, mm-hmm. we're going to be testing it, you know, top to bottom because we're actually going to be just playing the game and trying to get playtest information out of it. Yeah. Um, if I'm, if I do end up bringing it back to Metatopia, which I'm hoping that it'll be far enough along that I'm no longer allowed to do that next year. <laughs> Uh, at that point, I don't need 40, 45 minutes of character yeah. creation. Yeah, yeah. I need an hour and a half of play mm-hmm. and probably really, really specific play that I'm going, hey, I need to know, do these playbook moves work? Trigger your playbook moves, please. Yeah. Okay, so that actually is maybe a good point to pivot into what I wanted to talk about. Sure. Which is how do you take all that stuff? So now, so you've gone to you've gone to a convention, you've gone to Metatopia, or you've just hung out with your friends uh to playtest a game. 
Yeah. You've collected some information. You've talked to them. You've taken notes. You've, you've told them what you're looking at and you have, so you're sitting down after, after the convention, you've come home in, in November after Metatopia. You woke up in December after Metatopia. Yeah. Where, where do you go next? Uh, a catacon, I think. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, well, <laughs> I don't understand the people that can do that. I am uh, so sick just from Metatopia <laughs> and it's like three weeks later. Um, so where do you go? I have to admit, I'm not sure. I've been struggling with that fact. Well, I'm going to tell you. Oh, perfect. <laughs> or at least here is my idea. Okay. And, and here is my preface. Uh, I am not a, I am not a licensed agile scrum person. Um, I have not taken any official You're a classes. You're slow scrum person. <laughs> I am not a, I have not like, I don't have a license or I have not been certified. I've just been studying this stuff on my free time. License to scrum. So I I likely will get some of this wrong. Okay. But I've also intentionally sort of taken some of the pieces that I like, some of the pieces that work because this is a little bit different. So James, it's not that you're getting stuff wrong. It's that this is a hack of scrum. Yes. Yes. Um, well also specifically at um, me agile, (laughs) specifically sort of like big scrum development project styles uh, and a lot of the things, the tools that it uses uh, are designed around having like multi multiple many person teams. Okay. Whereas game design is typically not that many people. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even for a published product, unless you're looking at one of the really big companies, you'll probably have a buy list that kicks it at 20 max. Yeah. So including layout, graphic design. Yeah. So a little bit of what I'm how doing things here, look on the page, um, scales things down a little bit. Okay, cool. So I want to back up a little bit. Um, oh, I guess, um, a really great thing that I will recommend Jason Pitt of, um, Genesis of legends publishing, uh, and of being Jason Pitt. So you probably know who he <laughs> Generally is. Generally nice guy. Very well known. Um, he records and edits a lot of the panels that go on at Metatopia. And two years ago at, in Metatopia 2015, um, Rob Donahue and Emily Dresner and a couple other people sat down and did a panel on agile design and publishing. And they take a kind of a bigger, broader picture of this, um, of like from, we have, you have literally have nothing to I'm publishing a game and it's a good podcast. It's about an hour long. They cover a lot of stuff. Um, it's episode 79 of the RPG design panel cast, and I will put that information in the show notes so you can go listen to it. Or you could just copy and paste it right here and then we can just put our outro, <laughs> grab an early dinner. But I want to focus in a little bit and then go, and they didn't talk about okay. playtesting so much. So I want to pl- oh, okay. talk about playtesting. So, so this kind of, so I'm going to actually skip this piece cause I don't think it's relevant. Um, so where I want to start with agile because agile so agile is a is a project management style that it, that it that focuses on iteration and constantly checking in with where you are in your design process and okay. and sort of the 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 core the core some of the core things of agile that I'm borrowing and suggesting that you could use are the sort of the scrum slash sprint structure of design and the user stories uh, and some of the planning that goes into how you plan what you're doing. Um, okay. And so one of the things that I would recommend and I think can be useful is that as you are taking, you can either do this as you're taking your notes or as you are sitting at home after the fact, going through your notes, kind yeah. of fr- uh, putting together the comments you got back from all of your playtesters in the form in, in onto car, like note cards or, or, um, or on sticky notes uh, and phrasing them as, like as a play tester or as a game designer or as a, like you classify the person a little bit. Um, okay. I would like blank so that blank that's like as type of user, I want some goal for some reason is the like generic user story. Um, and so you can say like, Oh, I got this piece of information where they said uh, they wish that the system was a little like that. They felt like this part was not crunchy enough for the rest of the system. And so okay. you can say like as a role player who likes crunchy systems, I want this chunk to be crunchier because I felt like this reason. Okay. Um, or so like comments that I got about uh, 
wanting more of a combat system would fall under that kind of thing. Yeah, but even just like even broader things, like you could say, like like uh, going back to the playtest of Passion that we did, you could take some of the comments you got from John Adamus and say, as a story editor, I want this thing, or here's my comment, and and you should change this, like you should you should try to like focus on this because this is the thing that's important about story editing. Okay, or like as uh, as Rob Donahue, like uh, game designer. I want this and blah, blah. And you phrase all of their, their, their feedback as, as comments and like kind of like create these personas for like, you're, 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 you're not like dis you're taking all of the comments you're getting and you're saying, this is kind of like the picture of the person. Uh, this okay. is like, th- they, this is their background. This is the, the, the place that they're coming from. And here's what they're saying that they want. And then here's why they're saying they want it. Okay. Because once you've done enough play tests, it's no longer super useful to say Andrea said this. Yeah. 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 And so what you can also do is then you can say, Oh, well like these five people who are all into like emotional games, they all said some of the same things. So if I'm trying to go down that path to make my game more emotional, then I can follow them down that route because that like, they clearly like, that's the kind of person they are. It's the kind of game they're into. Yeah. Um, And so that's where they can get that if this is a product that is going after emotional gamers, then how do we exploit them and get their money? Yeah. And so, and so you can kind of like frame all of, and even if it is not a criticism that they voiced to you in your notes, you can speak for like agile, like this kind of like user stories allows you to speak for them and say like, as a, gamer in this play test they clearly like they clearly wished that this was happening because yeah. they wanted to do this okay and and so you can kind of it's so basically you like you may you they like agile ex, or, let me let me collect my thoughts for a second agile recommends that you actually like lay these out on a kanban like trello style board okay i've used uh, uh, trello that's the one with the little note cards Yeah. And so these are the things that you would put on those note cards. You would say like all of these, like here are this big, like here are these, like all these index cards or all these cards of what people have said to me. And then you go through and say, okay, well like all of these people you're trying to like, cause you're trying to use all of these comments you've gotten to, to find the bigger picture. And so you can say, oh, well like all these people are like, they're all saying these things, but they're really talking about this system or like this, this part of the game. So like these things are all really connected. They're all commenting off of the same thing. And so you can kind of like collect those, those notes together or like these people are all, like I said, emotional story gamers or something like that. So maybe I should like, I should put those together and you can kind of create what, what agile refers to as epics, which are like larger design problems or design goals. Um, and then, and that's the time where you can kind of go through and say, okay, well, this person says they want more game. They want more crunch. They want a combat system, but like they're a type they're there, but you've taken notes since you're saying like, oh, they're like, they've admitted that they're the type of gamer who wants that. So that's fine. Like they're going to look for that everywhere, but maybe that's not my goal. And so you could set that to a lower priority. Okay. And so in this phase, you're kind of like, you're collecting all the notes, you're putting them all together in a sort of uniform format that's easy to read. Um, and you are, you're starting to sort them to okay. determine what you want. And, and this is where you can add, like, if, like, depending on where exactly in the design process you are, mm-hmm. um, this is like, you can, like, you can start this, this whole, like, Kanban system really early on and, and create your own, uh, um, comments and user stories. Like, as the designer of the game, I want, to make a game about telenovelas. Like I want to, I want to have, uh, twins that have come and like, I want people, I don't want anyone to ever die. I want them to come back as, yeah. as a, an evil version of themselves. Like that is a thing. Like as, as a fan of telenovelas, I want no one to ever die for real. I want them to, because I want them to come back as an evil version of themselves would be right. like a great yeah. user story. Okay. And so you would have that there. And then it, and then getting ahead of myself, you would then say, okay, well now I'm going to go take that user story to go design because I want no one to ever die. I probably need to have some kind of a death move that most of the time when they roll, they're not actually dying. They're just, here are the options where they come back, which is kind of what you did. Yeah, exactly. And so you're, so, 
So this is how you start like collecting all of those those play tests and all the play notes from like just like the random notes that you wrote down and the comments you got from people and you're sort of collecting them into a unified format that you can judge against each other, collect or with and and like group them with people who are really saying the same thing and start to sort of judge them on a on a larger scale and focus your design forwards. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And because so then, if you're if you're getting if you're getting from one type of user the same question, yeah, and they're not your focus, then that might not be a card you want to put into place. Yeah. But if every type of user is giving you the same goal, yeah, then you need to be on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It lets you it, it helps you inform and and find these sort of underlying patterns in your feedback. That may not be super obvious if you're just like sort of reading through notes that are rough. Yeah, absolutely. Depending upon how you've organized those as well. Yeah. Actually, either way, because you're probably going to have a stack of papers, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here is the next phase. And this is where um, uh, some of this is going to go differently depending on if you have more than one person or not. Okay. Um, but you, the next thing that you want to do is kind of come up with a rough roadmap. Okay. And if you and this is going to be a lot, a lot more important if you are earlier in, in your game process and a little bit less important if you are later in your game process. OK, so skip it. Um, no, but like, <laughs> so this would be the kind of thing where if someone says, I really feel like I want a way to to I want I want to I want to I want a combat system. Yeah. And but you don't even have a, a system for like if you don't even have moves yet. Right. Well, then like the the combat system is probably going to come out of the move system. So you've yeah. got to make the move system first. Okay. And so if you were starting really early on, like, um, they, like project managers and stuff talk about minimum viable products. Like if you had just like the minimum version of the game possible, you had like just one playbook with one move and one basic move would be yeah. like the minimum version of the game that you could have that could literally be playable. Okay. From there, you would have to say, okay, well, I need to make more moves, and that would be a user story, and I need to do this, and X, Y, and Z. You kind of come up with a rough idea. The roadmap is going to get thrown out, because that's kind of the point. Like, you're just sort of roughly pointing yourself in the right direction, and you're sa- and you're looking through your notes as you've sort of so- started to sort your user stories, and you're yeah. saying, are any of these things, like, do they, they does, does my doing this thing uh, require, I have to do something else first? And if it does, then you put it to the side and you take the thing you have to do first and schedule that first. Yes. And so that way you can kind of like focus the way that you are going to spend your game design energies. Okay. So that you're not working on a system that is eventually going to need something else when you don't have the something else in place yet. Yeah. 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 You're trying to iterate your, your, your minimum viable, minimum viable product forwards towards a finished product. Um, but you're trying, you're making sure you're taking the next step and not getting ahead of yourself because you don't want to like go. And and, and this is like a big part of what I'm going to get to next, but you don't want to like spend a year working on, uh, advancing and, and play testing and developing this, a combat system, only to realize two years later, oh, well, I probably don't really need a combat system. Yeah, that definitely, that so definitely like a, is something that happens with many games. A big part of this kind of like sprint style is constantly having meetings with yourself and sitting down and thinking, or other people, if, if there are more than one person involved in with the your game raid and, boss, with your raid boss, yeah. and saying, um, uh, here is the work I've done. Here is where I've been. What was the, what was like, here is like user stories from the last time that we play tested. Is this game still going in the direction that I want? Is it still like, are these things that I previously had on my roadmap? Are they still relevant? Do we not need them anymore? It's trying to make sure you're optimizing your work. Okay. So the next thing that it recommends you do is, um, traditionally, the agile slash scrum system has sprints, which are typically in a product in like a um, in for my like my office uses this system. Yeah, um, they're month long work chunks. 
Okay. And basically you have all these user stories, which you've translated into, well, I need to go and do this. I need to go and do this. I need to go and do this. And then yeah. that's where you can kind of start having, um, you can translate the, the user stories into more definite, I need to spend time working on a sex move or I need yeah. a, I need to make moves for this playbook or I need to make this playbook. Yeah. It didn't exist previously. Um, and I need to convince Meg that she doesn't want to play La Abuela. Yeah. And what you need to do then is say, okay, let me take, here are the things that like have no blockers. They have no things that need to happen first. And I'm going to pick two of them, or I'm going to pick some number of them. And for the next four weeks, I'm going to work on them exclusively. And then I'm going to stop and put them aside wherever I am in their design process. I'm going to stop and put them aside and I'm going to pick two different things. I'm going to reevaluate, make sure those two things are still relevant and I'm going to keep doing that. And then you just every, every four weeks or two weeks or however long you want your sprint to be, uh, you're going to, you're going to work on that thing exclusively for that period of time. And then you're going to stop reevaluate, reevaluate, reevaluate everything, pick the next things, work on that thing, and then just keep doing that, which lets you say like, at the end of two weeks, if you've been spending two weeks on a combat system and at the end of two weeks you play test again or you just spend some time looking at the game and go, oh, this was dumb. I don't really need this. You didn't yeah. spend a year. You spent two weeks. OK. Yeah. That makes so sense. Th- yeah. Um, one of the things that it that I think is is interesting, but it, I'm not sure how super relevant it is, are these uh, story points. There is there is a w- once you have sort of conglomerated um, your your user stories into things that need to get done. Once you've sort of like filtered them into actions and tasks that you're going to do for your game, yeah. Um, in a in a in a traditional Scrum development setting, like a like a a, a software company, like the company I work for, um, you sit down with your team as you're planning out what you're going to do for the next couple weeks, and you play what they call Scrum poker or planning poker. Um, where everyone literally has sometimes literally has cards that have numbers on them and okay. they, and they tend to be in the, uh, Fibonacci sequence. Okay. Now you're just lying to me. <laughs> Wait, so let me get this straight. You get together with your scrum master. Yeah. And they run you through a game of scrumgeons and dragons. <laughs> no. Using the Fibonacci sequence. No. No. <laughs> so what you'll okay. do. How did Fibonacci connect to Scrum Poker? So you have a series of cards in your hand that say 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, 21, 34. Um, okay. And what you'll do is you'll sit down and you'll look at each of the, the like the things that you're working on. Like, say you have four different tasks that you're maybe going to include on this sprint. Yeah. Um, you'll say, okay, I need to add a combat system. I need to add a romance system. I need to add, <clears throat> I need to make a whole new playbook. Um, yeah. So on and so on. And then what you'll say is, I'm going to rate how difficult I think it is going to be to do for we like to do this, achieve this goal. Okay. And you get to rate that on a scale of one, two, three, five, eight, 13, 21, 34 with the idea okay. being that like the, the heart, like when you're talking about larger numbers, um, people are worse at estimating how different, like what's the difference between 50 and 60 in difficulty compared to one. <laughs> and and two. Okay. And yeah. the way that, that if you have a large team that this happens is you sit down, everybody votes, uh, you, you think about it, you choose your card, everyone flips over their card at the same time, and if it's all the same, then that's what you label that that thing as. If it's not, okay. you talk about it again until everyone agrees. Okay. I think that this isn't super relevant, but thinking about how difficult things are and sort of like assigning difficulty points to them um, yeah. for your tasks is useful because you don't want to, like, you're going to use these difficult, like, the, the story points to plan how much, like, if, if you think that adding a combat system is going to take up your entirety of your next two weeks worth of, or two weeks or four weeks worth of time, then only plan to do that for the next, the next sprint. But if you think right. it'll only take up half your time and you think I can knock this out, like if you're going to add a playbook, adding a new playbook might not be super hard because you've got the framework in place already and you can think of a couple moves. So maybe in two weeks you'll be done. So yeah. then you need to pick up another piece to add into the end of this. Okay. And, and so making sure that you're always having like uniform chunks of work. And if you are always doing this for everything, then you can start to say, Oh, well like last, the first sprint I did 10 story point points worth of work in four weeks. But the next week I did eight. And then the next week I did 20 and the next week I did 15. And so you can kind of like start to see, ah, uh, okay, well I probably need to schedule myself around like, 
10 to 15 difficulty points worth right. of stuff. Um, so you're not overloading yourself with work. And if you have the lowest scrum total, you have to take off an article of s- scrum. <laughs> Maybe. You have to, you have, no, you have to scrum an article of clothing. Okay. That's what it um, is. No, I get it now. Okay, so, so you're basically saying, how difficult is this, and how much am I in my... How much am I getting done compared to my pre-estimations? Yeah. Okay, cool. And because because the thing that you want to have there is you want to identify and try to hit goals. Um, and so you're you're saying I I want to these people say they want to play this type of character, so I think that's a relevant thing. So I'm going to add that as a playbook. So the adding a playbook is my goal. I think I can probably do two of those in this week. So there's my goal. And so you like so you do this sort of like okay. starting planning meeting with yourself. Uh, at the beginning of the month long sprint or whatever, and you're laying out the goals. And then by the end, you're sitting down again saying, did I hit these goals? Why didn't I hit these goals? Did, right. Was there some sort of, do I need to go read more games? Do I need to play more games? Do I need to play test more? What What's going on? What stopped me from hitting my goal? And if it's that, oh, like, well, actually I was struggling because this whole combat system doesn't really jive well with the rest of my game. Yeah. Then you can kind of say, okay, maybe this isn't worth it. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. And so one of the things, so like the other thing that you want to do is like a lot of, a lot of agile is having meetings, which sounds really stupid if it's just you, but, <laughs> but I think it's important. And I think that like sitting down and scheduling time to properly sit down and talk to yourself about like what you are planning on doing and documenting this or not documenting. Like I talk a lot about my game design just while I'm driving to myself. Yeah. I talk about the goals that I have, the things I want to do. And so like hitting and like waking, I mean, I don't don't know how many people listening to this podcast uh, are doing this as a day job, but even if you're not like just coming home after work, sit down say, this is what I would like to like, here's what I'm trying to achieve in the next month. This is what I would like to to achieve this day and then go do that. And then the next day say yesterday I did or did not achieve that goal. So I'm going to achieve, here's the chunk of work I want to try to get done tonight and then keep doing that and constantly be checking in. And then, and, and the idea is that it's okay that if you start to realize that this is not working, wave off and do something else. Don't spend the effort, the design time doing something that's dumb. So how long are you allowed to shorten a sprint once you've started it? I think you are not supposed to. Okay. But I think that also that you, because like, so I think you should make, I think that four weeks is a long time for yeah. an RPG design sprint. I agree. It, that's the amount of time you might need if you were pr- writing code to realize right. the code is not working. Yeah. But I think maybe a week or two weeks would be amount, enough time to say, I've really given it a shot uh, or like I actually got a good chunk of work done. Yeah. But now it's time to go try something else. See, cause I'm, I'm also now working at a job that I will sometimes get snow days. And so I'm just picturing a snow day as like a day that I could sit down and just crank through some stuff. Yeah. And so you may hit extra stuff. And so keeping some of your, some short user stories with like some lower tier, uh, story points on them. Yeah. would be like, okay, this could be a filler thing. Like maybe I do some extra work. Okay. Something that I'm really interested in is because you're you're saying I'm going to work for this period of time and then whatever happens there when it's when it's that end of time when that time period is done I'm going to stop and move on to like reevaluate my plan pick new things to work on so right. something that you might be able to do there is say I'm going to make this playbook uh, because I think that this ca- this this character is needed work for yes. two weeks on it stop put it aside say I like the idea of adding this playbook but I'm not sure the way I did it in the last two weeks is the best way so I'm going to start to make the playbook again differently. Okay. Interesting. And be a little iterative and say, I'm, I'm or I'm yeah. going to try two different design systems. And then what you do is then you go play test and you get more user stories and then use that to identify which one's working for you. Okay. Yeah. And, and sort of not being afraid to iterate and move quickly because you know, you're only going to work on this thing for a short period of time. Yeah. Um, means that you're not going to slave away at this new, the new like combat system forever. You're only yeah. doing it for two weeks or one week or whatever. So that's kind of the big picture. Okay, um, that makes th- sense th- in a general sort of way. I think that there is also something to be said for if you are working by yourself, having uh, especially the retrospective meetings, the like at the end of the sprint, you look back and say, I was trying to do this. 
I did or did not succeed. I, if I did succeed, here's the thing I made. And like in a, in a design team, you would show off the thing that you were working on to the other sprint teams and okay. say like, here's what we did. I think there is something to be said for if you have someone Look who, upon my scrum, if you have someone who is not working on your design, okay, but is somewhere between like, like you and I, like you could be doing this. And at the end of your sprint, you could come to me and we could sit down and you could show me the stuff you've worked on. I'm right. not involved in the design process, but I know enough about it because you've been talking to me about it, that you could show me stuff and it could make sense. Yeah, and that's I'm, true. And you can kind of do like mini play tests, like not really a play test, but like I could, I could give you some feedback and those feedback, that feedback could become user stories. Yeah. As in James, checking in with yourself and checking in on everything is like the key of agile and, and being able to say, okay, this is not working or this is really, or like, here is that like, like I spent two weeks going down this path and you know what, that actually works like way better than I thought it was going to. I need to actually shift and focus the whole rest of the game around this thing I was doing because that's like, that was a thing that people said they liked and I wasn't sure if I really wanted to include it, include it in the game. But now that I've spent time working on it, it, that's really like, that is, they were right. That's what's right to do with the game. Yeah. And then like, you want to not lock yourself into this big, long, like waterfall style of game design. And, and so you're, and so the kind of, you get into this flow eventually of like, I collect, I do a play test. I collect these user stories. I organize the user stories. I turn them into tasks that I want to try. Uh, I schedule those tasks. I do a sprint. I'm while I'm sprinting, maybe I'm doing more play tests. I'm collecting yeah. more user stories and you're constantly kind of like building this and then, and, and shifting left and right as you are designing the game, making sure you're always moving towards what's best. Right. Exactly. Okay, cool. Yeah. That is very interesting. Mm-hmm. I might, I definitely like the idea of the user stories. Yeah, I think that they are, if you, that seems key. If you do, do not necessarily buy into the rest of this idea, because I think it is a little bit weird to do this by yourself. Yeah. Um, framing all of the, f- the feedback as user stories to help find patterns in that alone is very helpful. Yeah. Well, well, what, uh, I ended up doing with Passion, essentially working with Brendan, was he would say, try to have this done by a week from now, which is different because we weren't going through and kind of triaging out, which is the most important thing and stuff like that. Yeah. But that was based on kind of the what Magpie had done previously and what we knew was a uh, prerequisite for future things and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think and I think that the the beginning stuff about user stories is is good and I think that will help anyone. I think the end stuff about like having regular meetings, like even if you aren't yeah. super formally like having a sprint and planning playing sprint like scrum poker and stuff like that, like I think you can still like the the idea that you should have regular meetings even just with yourself to sit yeah. down and talk about the things that you're working on and the, and making sure you're not wasting your time working down a path that is not helpful and not good yeah. um, is important and being able to adjust and shift and, 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 and having that unified version of playtester feedback means that as you do more playtests, you bring that playtest, like you bring that information in, in a uniform way. Okay. Like, like what, like kind of what I'm getting at is like, if you go to Metatopia in theory, most of the people there are, a lot of them are game designers. A lot of them are, are pro play testers. So they may be able to phrase their feedback to you in a very formal, if you would like to do this, try this. If you don't want to do this, try this yeah. like the in type way. But then if it's, Ideally. Just, if it's, if it's January and you're just play testing with your friends, like your friends again, they are maybe not going to be the kinds of people who can give you that kind of formal feedback. So taking all of your feedback and formalizing it in one sort of unified style will help you work through it and find those patterns of feedback of what is not working for your users or your players. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I think that's very helpful. Yeah, I agree. Definitely want to find a way to start looking at that. Cause I've currently still have piles of paper from Metatopia that I have not gone through. Oh God. I haven't even opened my notebook and looked at those pages. I need to do that. I mean, Hey, playtesters, you've done a wonderful job and I have all the information. I've compiled it in a way that's very wonderful and easy to use. 
Yeah, I'm intentionally trying to give it a little space to get away from the, that mindset because I internalized a lot of their feedback very quickly. Okay. Uh, and I want to make sure that if I give it some time, I can look back and say, does that really still make sense or does it not? Because I in do- the moment when you're looking at the person, a lot of times it makes a lot of sense for the way yeah. they just played the game, but it yeah. may not make sense for the larger design system. Someone looking you in the face and saying, Pasión de los Pasiones is really good, but it's sure got a lot of kissing and stuff. You want to cut that? <laughs> I I heard that uh, ice hauler, trucker, space time, friendship, lover, space mm-hmm. had quite a bit of space travel <laughs> and a relationship between two characters. I think remove the relationship and change it from space travel to aquatic. Well, you know. Um, I think that could work, but that's a different story. Wait, don't remove the relationship. Well, but change the relationship potentially. Okay, I was saying like cut it. <clears throat> oh yeah, no. I mean, I mean, it may work that way, but this is really like not the right way to go through this. Probably not. So, is there a final thing that is there anything else that you want to do with Scrum and Agile? Um. I think that something we didn't really talk about um, is that as you are kind of creating these, as you're taking the user stories and collecting them and, and, and turning them into tasks, I didn't talk about that a whole lot because it's still something I'm trying to figure out. Okay. Um, but a big part of it is is creating what you will call like acceptance uh, conditions. So like if this person felt like the game like didn't, like it stopped them from doing a certain type of action that they felt like they should do, um, or like it, it allowed them, but didn't encourage them. Then, okay. and, and, and if you agree that that is the type of action that should happen, then maybe you'll say an acceptance condition of, well, I'm so I'm going to try to make my game do this thing better. And an acceptance condition is I run a play test and that thing happens three times or five times when previously it only happened once. Okay. And, yeah. and instead of like establishing these, like, it's kind of it kind of falls under the big umbrella of defining what done is. But for agile, you don't want like big picture done as much as you want small picture done. Okay. Um, so you can say like if I'm working on this task, what does this task look like when it's done? Yeah. And then when it gets done, look back and say, "Okay, well, was that a thing I really wanted to do?" And if it was, you include right. it in your system. Yeah. Okay. Or throw it back in, play test it some more and iterate again. Right, because it could be that you've done the thing and it's it is interesting and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But uh, other than that, I mean, I'm still like reading uh, like a a crazy person about agile and in this whole system of 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 game design, and I think it does work. And 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 like one of the things they talk about in the the podcast that I'll uh, I'll post is like if you hit a point where. Maybe this is worth like the thing you were talking about really was like, is this worth playing, but not really worth spending more time developing into something that could be a book? Like maybe I should right. just put this online for free. Yeah, like, that's fine. Like and if that's if that is an acceptable end condition for you, then then it's then that can be fine. And you want to like then just end it and shift your your design focus onto the next project. Maybe. Yeah, that definitely makes sense that it, it stopped you from just continuously beating your head against a against a heartbreaker as well. Yeah. 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 Because a lot of, a lot of agile is designed about around like lean, um, project stuff and, um, making sure that you're not wasting too much energy or time. Yeah, definitely. So that's pretty much that. Those are my thoughts. Okay. Awesome. Uh, I think that about sums up my current thoughts on playtesting at the moment. Yeah. Although I think I should also mention that, it is now possible to externally playtest Pasión de las right. Pasiones. Nice. Uh, at PAX Unplugged two weekends ago from listening time now. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Pasión de las Pasiones was sold at the, the Ashcan, was sold at the Magpie Games booth, and I've been seeing pictures of it, and so if you have additional pictures of it, please send them to me because I'm just enjoying the heck out of seeing it. Uh, I actually yeah. do not yet have my copy, so <laughs> I'm just living vicariously through other people with that. But even if you were not at 
PAX Unplugged uh, and still want to play the game, it's on Magpie's website under their Ashcans section. You yeah. can scroll down. I think I think you've said there's more stuff in the Ashcan, but you can get the like basic play materials of the playbooks and some rough uh, jamming notes. Yeah, if you've listened relatively fastidiously to this podcast, you might be able to run it without the Ashcan. I think you'll I- run it better with the Ashcan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because you spend more time. Like this, this Master of Ceremonies sheet is very short. <laughs> it oh, is, yeah, it it's, is at least half a list of names. That but, was because I needed a Master of Ceremonies sheet for me to keep notes on, and yeah. so I didn't need two sides of it. But you could, in theory, play. So go look at it. Go look at the playbooks. Tell Brandon uh, how much you love this game, and find <laughs> Magpie Games at a convention somewhere and buy the game, the the, the Ashcan from them. Yeah, I think that the drive-through one is going on in the next couple of weeks as well for people that prefer PDF. So I'm very excited. Cool, cool, cool. Um, and so the best place to send all of those pictures that you're taking with Brandon's game yeah. uh, would be to either uh, this podcast's Twitter account, which is at Stop, Hack, and Roll, or you could hit up Brandon individually at Dr. Captain Cobalt. Uh, or send them to me too, because I like to laugh at them. <laughs> um, and I am at end the meltdowns. Or if you want to tell me how I don't understand anything about uh, Scrum and Agile, and I'm just totally wrong, uh, I definitely want to learn. So let me know. And if there was something like deeply ingrained in Scrum that I've totally missed, that's like integral to the way that people should design games and playtest games and hack games and stuff like that, uh, hit me up there too. And be sure to include hashtag Scrumgeons and Dragons. Yes. Scrumgeons and dragons. Yeah, I'm sure that will be easy to spell, and uh, all of those hashtags will get. Uh, Scrum put is spelled S C R U M, and you know to spell Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. so it should be very easy. <laughs> um, so outside of the Magpie Games website, you can find some of the other games we're working on. I think you can find like really, really old versions of uh, oh my gosh. of Passion and some of the stuff that I've been working on. Like on embarrassing our website, versions. On our, on our website, which is at stophackandroll.com. Uh, you can email us at either James or Brandon at stophackandroll.com as well. Uh, I think I technically still receive those emails. I uh, do too. I get them forwarded to me <laughs> yep. in theory. Uh, also, if you like what we are doing and want to help other people find the show, you can give us a rating and review rating and review on iTunes. In addition to boosting our self-esteem, which is the most important thing in all of podcasting, it helps <laughs> other people find the show using dark magic algorithms that only feast on five star reviews. Yeah. And I, and I can't stress this enough. Please. Please help boost Brandon's self-esteem. Oh my just, gosh. <laughs> he just doesn't have any self-esteem and he needs everything you can help him yeah, with. Yeah, I'm definitely not going around with a huge head already. That that doesn't need to <laughs> that that needs a lot more work. Right. But you know who should have a huge head? All of the people who help <laughs> us uh, uh, by supporting this podcast on Patreon. Patreon backers like Rob Abrazado, Robert Kosick, Nick Clark. Randy Lubin, Riverhouse Games, Richard Kritzlandry, Jimmy Rogers, Troy Pitchelman, Anthony Nomorosa, Blake Ryan, Chad Owen, Declan Chadborn, V. Brower, and Rob Harvey. There are like four or five people named Rob who back us on Patreon. If your name is also Rob, please consider backing us on Patreon. Stop if your hack name and roll is not Rob. Favorite podcast <laughs> stop, of Rob. Stop hack and Rob. Yep. Um, uh, if you would like to do that, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash stop, hack, and roll. Uh, additionally, I'd just like to say I've met a whole bunch of the people on this list and yeah. talked to them a whole bunch, and none of them have heads that are too big for them. No, but they should feel good about supporting us and helping us create okay. this awesome podcast. Actually, I think a lot of them deserve much larger heads than they already have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you have a large head or not and want and can't support us financially... Uh, consider joining in our community and just kind of joining in the discussion and the discord. Uh, we've got a discord, which is basically like a chat room slash voice station command. I don't really understand what discord is based <laughs> off. Of. It, it seems very much to me like its own weird little separate thing, but people tell me it isn't. It's a, uh, cha- it's a channel. It's a channeled chat room that has some voice stuff built in. Okay. That's what, what we have. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, and so people- a channel chat room with the voice stuff built in. We have it, and a ton of people are talking at it all the time. We've got enormous amounts of game design work being done. There has been wild amounts of masks being played. Yeah. Uh, not <laughs> connected to us. I don't think uh, any of us have managed to get involved in it yet, just because time hasn't lined up. But I cannot Someday wait. I will. Oh my gosh, yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah. The stuff you they're know, doing is so fun. <laughs> also, interesting fact that happened recently, um, Meg of the Modifier podcast and our dear, bitter ri- podcasting rival joined our Discord. Yeah, so, so if, if you would like more places to tell Meg that Stop, Hack, and Roll is a better podcast than Modifier. <laughs> uh, first off, why are you judging podcasts against each other like that? These yeah. are very different podcasts. That doesn't even make sense. Secondly, thank you, you're right. And thirdly, join our Discord at tinyurl.com slash shrdiscord or discord.stophackandroll.com. So James, I'm going to go ahead and do our first scrum sprinting meeting right now. Okay. Um, I'm terrified. With no, no, it's it's okay. You're you're gonna you're gonna be good with this because we have some things we definitely need to get done with four stop hack and roll. Uh, I'm gonna put a plus three bastard sword on getting the episode edited. Okay. Uh, I'm also going to go ahead and tap recording the next one for 2018. Mm-hmm. I mean for 2017. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, and then I'm going to just put all of the rest of the work on you. Okay. And remind you that as you're working on all of these different tasks, not to forget to stop, hack, and roll. Hang on one second.